Hi, dear listener. Zach here. I'm proud of the work we did on Call of Discovery and Keyforge Public Radio, and last year I took my love of podcasts full-time with my company, Rooster High Productions. If you know someone with a business who wants to broadcast their expertise through podcasts and derived social media marketing, send them my way to Zach at RoosterHigh.com. Thank you so much. Happy birthday to us. Happy birthday to us. Why are you not singing? Come on. Happy birthday, Happy birthday Call of Discovery. <laughs> Happy birthday to you. Us. Us. Oh, that was awful. Let's start now. Hello and welcome to another episode of Call of Discovery. This is the weekly or fortnightly podcast where we go crazy for Keyforge, its community, and of course, the excitement of Discovery. Now, you might have guessed by our intro that it is a very special episode. We are blowing out the candles in a socially distanced way and not sharing any of our saliva because it is pandemic season. However, we are celebrating our birthdays. I am joined, as always, by my evil twin from across the unfathomable ocean. Hello, Zach. Hello, hello, Ed. Happy first birthday to Call of Discovery, the podcast we are on right now. Exactly. And we say fortnightly at the beginning of every episode. And yet I believe this is episode 46, which means with 52 weeks in a year, we've had a pretty good run so far. So yeah, we'll see if we if we're here next year, and we're only on 47 episodes, then something went wrong somewhere. But (laughs) hey, for now, let's celebrate. Yes, yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Uh, One year old on August 20th. So yay, very exciting. (laughs) (laughs) And today we are joined by Dave Cordero, who is here to talk to us all about the Triad variant and its many mysteries in Keyforge. Dave, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's a real pleasure. And Dave, if you are a listener, you will know that we start the podcast off with a question about your background. So, how did you get into card games and what led you to Keyforge? Sure. I I pretty much always liked uh, card games. I think like growing up, I collected Pokemon cards just because I liked the art. Uh, when I was in high school, I switched over to playing Magic just because that's what a lot of people were playing and there's like a good scene there. I played Magic uh, somewhat competitively for about 10 years or so. Um, mostly I was playing like interesting decks that were kind of on the fringe the one thing that uh i was probably known for would be there's this deck called martyr proc in martyr in uh mod uh, sorry in modern it's a little bit of a tongue twister or i'm just tired who knows uh but anyways uh basically it's some deck that's uh it's like a slow white control deck that uh gains a lot of life and has a lot of recursion and uh 
it's kind of seen as a meme a little bit, but I spent a lot of time uh, working on trying to make it competitive and like really like developing it into uh, like a viable archetype. And we've gotten a couple people who have done well at GPs with it. And I think I did like top 40 or top 32 at the last one that was in Dallas with it. So that was kind of cool. Um, and I think one time I was like the number six constructed player on Magic Online with it or whatever. So I played a lot of Magic. Then uh, before Keyforge came out, one of the local game stores around here, they uh, they were like, oh, we just got a distribution through Alliance or whatever, who's who used to do the distribution for FFG in uh, the United States. They're like, if anybody wants anything, let me know. And then somebody's like, hey, I saw this thing and it sounded interesting. And they just sent a little article about Keyforge. And as soon as I read it, I was like, that sounds amazing like i cannot wait for that to come out and uh you know when it came out i bought a box of call of the archons and kind of uh went from there right there was no turning back <laughs> yeah no turning back and honestly i like it a lot now that like i have a lot less time than i did when i was in like high school and college like i spend a lot of time thinking about keyforge and like playing keyforge but maintaining a magic collection is just so time consuming that uh it's nice that uh at least with keyforge i feel like uh a lot of the burden uh is kind of lifted in that respect yeah yeah definitely keyforge freeing up that that time to um uh, apart from deck building i mean of course i've probably spent plenty of time just browsing decks of keyforge or the master vault uh instead of deck building um but it is nice that there's that mental burden of deck building removed when you can instead just think about you know, your quirky decks are how to make your deck with that uh, just one weird house. Uh, you just want to make it work <laughs> or get to know it better. So you can just use it in, in yeah, adaptive. For sure. There's, I mean, yeah, there is no deck building in Keyforge, but I think that the deck building process in Keyforge is more uh, akin to identifying a deck's strengths and figuring, like the deck selection process, like figuring out what you think people are going to be playing, what's going to be good against it, and uh, all of that. And all of the time that I would have spent, like, narrowing down the last five cards in a deck is now spent like ah, which deck's going to be right for this event or this format or what format does this deck excel in and so you know sometimes it's fun to come up with new formats and try to figure out like what situation really makes this deck shine certainly and then there's the the connection to the decks right like i've got decks like my one of my first decks I opened and then some of my best decks are decks I just have many, many repetitions with that I have a bond with in a way that they're special to me. And it's not like I made, you know, like, like you did, it's not like I've made an, uh, an archetype that maybe people have copied. Like these decks are unique to me. Like nobody else is going to be running the Bishop of giant way kingdom. And I'll be like, Oh, look at that deck list. I made like, like that deck is only mine, which is another pretty special thing there. Um, to, to Keyforge that nothing else really has. I think when Keyforge came out, I thought to myself, like, they really found a way to make the, I guess, the, I never really played Yu-Gi-Oh!, but, like, the idea of the Yu-Gi-Oh! anime where people have, like, signature mm -hmm. cards, the only ones that have, uh, like, Keyforge is that. Like, somebody has their signature deck and nobody else in the world has that yes. signature card or whatever. Yes. Um, I, the fact that they got that to work in real life is kind of uh, just amazing, in my opinion. It's definitely a unique game that we're talking about in more ways than one. And so, Dave, what's been your your most enjoyable experience with Keyforge so far? Just it could be really anything. And I know you're uh, you're a collector of decks with five of the same card and a member of Team Reapout, who I believe are one of the very first Keyforge teams. And you all have 
gosh, at least three Vault Tour wins collectively. So um, from from your depth of Keyforge experience, what's what have been some highlights for you uh, over the past two years? I mean, number one is going to be the community. I think that there's a really strong community uh, with this game. I'm involved pretty heavily with uh, a lot of the discords and the Facebook page. So I get to interact with a lot of people all the time. And I think a lot of times card game players get a bad rap with a lot of games, you know, being... Uh, I mean, overly salty about like losing or variance or whatever it is. And like, yeah, people get upset in Keyforge or whatever, but I think that uh, there's a lot more camaraderie or something with this. And uh, just, uh, I don't know, just the group of people just, I really like the community. Um, So I would say that's probably the highlight is uh, meeting all the friends that I've met playing Keyforge and traveling to the vault tours. I, uh, I thought I was only going to get to go to one vault tour at first was, uh, when I went to Denver. I ended up doing pretty well, uh, which was kind of exciting because uh, I wasn't expecting anything really from that. And then a bunch of things fell into place. And I ended up getting to go to Gen Con more or less for free. So I went to that. And I think at that point I was just hooked and I ended up driving to every vault tour I could drive to in less than 16 hours. Wow, sixteen hours is a pretty is a pretty high uh, pretty high ceiling for how long to drive. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah each way. So I guess what thirty two hours round trip. Oh yeah, sure, sure. That makes that makes sense. These numbers are madness to a European. Oh my goodness! <laughs> for me, if I drive from one end of the UK to the other, and please viewers don't fact check me here because I am I am wrong. But it's probably about ten hours from 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 where I am to somewhere in the Scottish Highlands, and I'm I'm very south in in the UK. So wow, that's uh, that's quite a round trip. Uh, so Dave, you you mentioned going to a, a couple of vault tours and playing, getting to do well at Denver, and then kind of getting the itch to go elsewhere. Um, aside from the thrill of victory, what was it that hooked you about playing Keyforge at these uh, kind of more competitive events like vault tours? I think I've always kind of enjoyed high level competition uh, in in pretty much any game that I play, uh, and the vault tour just kind of has an interesting feel to it because it's not. I mean, it is the highest level of Keyforge we have at this point, uh, but that said, it is still more casual than a lot of other sure. games might be because there's no cash sure. prizes, right? There's just uh, um, like a prize wall, and FFG still owes me a chair. So if you're listening, FFG, this is one of the ones they mentioned, right? <laughs> no, they mentioned like Bouncing Death Corp or something like that, right? I don't remember which ones they... Somebody asked them, like, what podcast do you know about? And they said Bouncing Death Corp, and like that one doesn't... They, they mentioned... Bouncing Death Quark and, and another podcast. I, I can't remember its name, but I think it's awful. Well, we're both. <laughs> we, can, we can edit that part out. Um, <laughs> no, we're oh. keeping that part in. Hi, <laughs> D-House. We, we, we have a beef with them. Oh, okay. Uh, they would they would be able to participate more actively if they released more than once a month. So that's fine. <laughs> oh. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, if you're, if you're listening, FFG, I want my chair. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's basically uh, the fact that you can get that high level of competition, but everybody is like still like being quite friendly and like nobody's really trying to. I, ha- I have experienced significantly less rules lawyering and angle shooting in Keyforge than I have in any other game. That's a positive reflection on on the community, certainly. Yeah. You might not know it from reading the Facebook page, but it, it is <laughs> an actual person. Nobody acts like that. Oh, it makes sense. It makes sense. And uh, for our listeners who might not be familiar with the term angle shooting, and I say that because I had to have uh, some of the Archons of Atlanta explain it to me just because I hadn't been 
in those crowds. Uh, could you just give a brief over overview of what ankle shooting is and um, why we're blessed to not see it as much in Keyforge? Uh, sure. It's just like, um, I'm trying to think of a good way to explain this, like besides like a, maybe like an example, I guess. But um, if there's a way you can like finagle a situation or something your opponent said or did into a way that's more beneficial to you than really what it should be. Like maybe uh, if somebody like says, like they pick up a card and they're going to be like, oh, I'm going to like fight with, no, nah, actually I'm going to reap with it. Being like, nope, you said you fight, you have to fight with it, blah, blah, blah. Like that, maybe that's an example of it. Uh, or uh, trying to like claim some rule works in some very specific way that is probably not true. And then like, I don't know, calling a judge on your opponent, like for uh, things that are probably completely fine, but you think that maybe there's a chance they're doing like, like obviously if somebody's cheating, you want to, or you suspect something uh, like is not the way it should be, call a judge. But like, um, if uh, if you're if you're very clearly aware that nothing is going wrong, and you still like try to get them in trouble for something that they objectively shouldn't get in trouble for, that could be a form of angle. There's a lot of different ways, but basically, it's just, uh, in my opinion, poor sportsmanship and trying to win the game outside of uh, playing it to the best of your ability. Mm. sure i'd never come across this term before so thank you dave for enlightening me and i can say personally that i've never come across this to a, a significant degree in keyforge which i think is a brilliant reflection on the community we do in fact have a a different word for this in the uk but since this is not an explicit podcast i will not use it <laughs> yeah. i think the, the best example i could give uh like specific example was I was playing a uh, I was playing in a magic tournament one time and uh there's uh some basically some cards that made some zombies uh when something happens uh and I did that thing uh which also put a creature from my discard pile into play but technically speaking the zombie tokens are supposed to come into play first and then the creature comes in from the discard pile but I took the creature, put it into play from the discard pile, then went to go get my zombie tokens. And then my opponent's like, no, that happens first. You missed the trigger, which means like you opted to not take the May effect. Uh, so you don't have any zombie tokens. And I'm like, ah. that makes no sense. So like in Keyforge, that could be like, you know, something that's like, oh, you may ready and fight with something. And like, I don't know, you go to get like your Amber from for something or whatever. And then your opponent's like, oh, no, you that said you may fight with it and you didn't. So you didn't fight with it like that. That's what I'm talking about. That's that's just like, just calm down and play the game. So we're going to move into our main topic today, talking about the triad variant, uh, getting thoughts from Dave on how to do it well, uh, how to select decks, how to deal with deck selection in sealed. And so we're going to go over real quick what the triad variant is. Um, now, I have heard stories that if you mistakenly call triad a format, you can instantly summon Alex from the OP team to your podcast. However, we're not going to take that shortcut and we'll just use the terminology correctly here today. I'm, I'm so, probably going to mess it up at some point because <laughs> I follow the format all the time. Uh, but Which honestly makes sense if coming from other board and card games, um, it really makes sense to call it a format that way. I'll be completely honest there. <laughs> Hang on. It's it's not a format? No, it's <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Sweaty Zach is disappointed in you, Ed. 
Uh, no, so, uh, so, so for the uninitiated, uh, like Ed Pocock here on the mics with us, uh, so a format in Keyforge is Archon or Sealed. Archon, of course, being where you bring a deck from your collection that's already open, and at the beginning of the game, whatever it is, you get to look at your opponent's deck list for two minutes. Sealed, of course, being where you're handed one or more decks. If you're uh, handed more than you're going to play, you choose from those decks, and then you play that deck you've been handed. So those those are the two formats in Keyforge, and then they call all the different ways you can play those variants, like Triad, Survival, uh, Reversal, all that sort of thing. Thank you, Zach. I'll do my I'll do my homework next time on, <laughs> on the semantics of of, of Keyforge. Um, but but I I'm, I'm just a bit worried about you. You uh, you seem to have grown in size significantly, turned green and angry, and started sweating. Are you okay? Uh, I'm fine. I'm just a little sweaty because I really want to be good at this game, Ed. So I'd appreciate it if you just uh, <laughs> let me tell our listeners about this game and how to be good, Ed. <laughs> Discover and, how uh, you can be good. <laughs> <laughs> and for our listeners, this is uh, unfortunately Zach's alter ego, uh, <laughs> Sweaty Zach. Sweaty Zach. <laughs> we should never have let that one get through marketing. He's coming through. <laughs> he's coming for your amber. <laughs> Sweaty Zach. He's coming for your amber. Mm, mm. So, in the triad variant, uh, in Archon, you bring three decks and sealed your given three decks. And so you have these three decks. And when you sit down to play somebody in a match, uh, you and your opponent both look at each other's decks, all three decks at the same time. In Archon, of course, you get to see the full lists. In Sealed, you actually just get to see your opponent's deck names and houses. Then you and your opponent simultaneously ban one of your opponent's decks. That way, each of you have two decks that you're going to play during that match. That third ban deck uh, will not hit the table at all during the game. You then play a best of three with your two decks, where as soon as you win with the deck, you can't play it again. Uh, And this guarantees that even if the match goes to three games, you're going to have a different matchup every time. If you lose with one of your decks, you can swap decks if you want to, or stick with that deck, uh, stick with that deck for uh, the next game as well. So that's the that's the basics of it. So you get about an hour and a half to play in this variant. So we're going to talk about both Archon and Sealed. They're honestly, in my experience, quite different beasts. They share a lot of similarities, but because you're banning totally differently and you're bringing the decks to the table in a completely different method, uh, they're actually pretty different. So we're going to start talking with Dave here, talking about Sealed, uh, talking about Sealed Triad. I guess I'll just get this off the, get this off right off the bat. Uh, I think that sealed triad is an abomination that shouldn't exist. And I, (laughs) there's a, there are a lot of reasons for this, but I think that when you're talking about the formats, so sealed or archon, they're both testing different skills. And it's not to say that one of them is more skill intensive than the other. They're just testing different things. So for sealed, you have to be a bit more of an adaptable player, play whatever you're handed. Um, you're not selecting your deck for the event in most cases. Sometimes you're opening a couple decks and picking one, but it's a, it's more narrow mm. than like your whole collection or like working the secondary market and expanding your collection so that you can have more options for like an Archon event or whatever. Uh, but in Sealed, you want to be able to play whatever's thrown at you more or less. 
I'm just going to stop you there, Dave. It's clear that you're, you know, you're on a podcast, right? And I just want you to feel comfortable speaking your mind. So please, please, you know, don't, don't, don't worry about what you say. I just want, I want you to be as honest as you possibly can be. Basically, the problem with sealed triad is that, actually, sorry, I have to back up a sec just to kind of explain with Archon, a huge, huge section of the skills tested in Archon formats is the deck selection process, identifying sure. which decks are better in which situations than others, figuring out what you think other people are going to play. Uh, you know, even though there's no deck building in Keyforge, there is still a metagame. You can generally expect certain types and archetypes of decks to show up in bringing a deck that fairly uh, deals with what you're expecting uh, can increase the chances of you succeeding in Archon uh, significantly. So for that reason, I actually don't like Archon uh, for adaptive because I think that it removes an entire aspect of skill in Keyforge, which is deck selection, and replaces it with chain bidding which is sort of like a small mini game that's played outside of the match sometimes and sometimes yeah. it isn't. And I think that while chain bidding is an important skill in some scenarios, I don't believe that the depth that you get from chain bidding uh, even remotely makes up for the depth that you get from the deck selection process. However, in sealed, there is no deck selection process. So if you make sealed adaptive, you're not really sacrificing the deck selection process, but instead you're gaining more adaptability, which is what sealed is about to begin with. And you're adding in this extra chain bidding process with matchup evaluations and all that and all the things that come with it. So in sealed, I think that the, the best variant caught myself there. I almost called it a format. The best variant for sealed is adaptive. And for Archon, I think the best variant is triad because triad emphasizes a lot of what's going on in Archon, which is selecting decks, uh, evaluating uh, both the larger metagame beforehand and then in the individual uh, triad match, evaluating uh, what you're going against, what you have, what you think they're going to ban, what you're going to ban as a result to give yourself the best chance uh, with these decks that you've brought. So I think that sealed is best as adaptive because you don't uh, sacrifice any of the deck selection process really, and you add into what it's already trying to test, the skill that it's trying to test. And in triad uh, for Archon, uh, that is also true. You're uh, really just emphasizing what they're setting out to do. Sure, sure. And uh, I will say with that sealed triad, uh, one, it's a it's a slog. <laughs> yeah. One, it's a it's a slog um, and maybe not quite as, uh, it's a bit of a different feel than other uh, three game formats. Uh, so what is it about, uh, what is it about the sealed triad specifically that really, kind of drags it down for you? And are there adjustments you you would make to tweak it? For for instance, I know that you end up only being as good. Um, well, of course, there's always skill, right? But you are, you are stuck with, you open three decks. Whatever your worst one is, you're likely, if people are guessing based on houses, uh, you're likely to be playing that um, 
all day and might just get stuck behind a, a bit of a, of a of a clunker. So I know that's that's one issue for me is getting stuck behind a clunker there. Yeah. So with with sealed, there there is obviously some variance. Uh, like you know, you open let's say at a vault tour, you open three decks and you get to pick one. Uh, that helps a lot. If you're just like playing local sealed, you know, weekly, a lot of times you just open a deck and that's the one you play, and that's a lot of fun. But there is a lot of variance involved in that. Uh, you know, you might open a good one, you might open a bad one, who knows. With Sealed Triad, that variance is, like, amplified significantly. Like you were saying, you if you open a bad deck, you have to play that. Like, you can't just, like, pick a good one or whatever. Uh, you're just, like, three times as likely to pick a deck that you don't want to play. Whether it's good or bad, like, you don't want to play it, you're three times as likely to get one, right? Uh, so there's that. And I, and I think, like, going back to what I was saying earlier, Triad is really about the deck selection process. And in Sealed Triad, you don't select decks. You just open three of them and you play them, you know? And, and I have to say, it's fascinating hearing you kind of talk about this and, and reflecting on these things from a, a yeah, a, a very much a skilled player perspective. Um, I, I'd say myself, coming from slightly more the casual angle, I've attended one triad event. It was a sealed triad event, and it wasn't my favorite playing experience. Um, but yeah, part of me thinks that it's brilliant that they want to try an interesting variant like this from day one. Uh, and I nearly called it a format as well. Um, and I wonder as the game grows with, you know, feedback from the community, we've realistically only had one organized play season so far, um, whether we will start seeing different formats being variants being, uh, supported formally by the by the uh the op team um and whether certain ones perhaps like this might start falling by the wayside yeah and definitely it, i appreciate that there's so many different uh, variants uh but some of them lend themselves to different formats better than other ones right so mm, uh, maybe certainly. archon triad picks up and sealed adaptive picks up i'd love to see like a vault tour where it's just sealed adaptive like the whole way through yes like that would be mm -hmm. a ton of fun in my opinion i mean the rounds would be long that's the other problem with uh sealed triad is that the rounds are even longer in sealed than they are for archon so i know several people that have been to primes that were sealed triad and they were there till like 1 or 2 a.m just like playing sealed and that's fun but i don't got time for that yeah, I was I was one of those people in the the Carolinas uh, several months before before COVID hit, and it was a slog. So this, I mean, also a word a word of advice to anybody who helps organize events at their friendly local game store or runs a friendly local game store that you need to know what you're doing if you are going to run a sealed triad or something of that length. I think they started at like noon or one, and I got knocked out in top in the top cut. And I was getting back to my hotel at midnight. Like I can't imagine what the other people how late you know how late they stayed up if they did. Yeah, I know. I know several people that have made it to the finals of a sealed triad, uh, and then just decided with the other person, it's fine if you have the win. Like I'm tired. Let's go to sleep. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's mm. that was the one that I was thinking of was one of the other uh, Reapout guys who was already qualified for Worlds because he was very high on the mm. leaderboard. He's like, you can have the win, you know, qualify, whatever, you know, but. Of course. It's it's 2 a.m. Like, let's leave. I'm going to say here, I'm positive that the future of these events, we might start seeing some of these other formats, these community-driven formats, things like uh, Adaptive Best of One, 
where you can have a load of fun and not be going until 2 a.m. And maybe even something like three-player Keyforge as an organized play variant. That is, that is a game that I love, and I would love to see some organized play there. Oh, yeah. I definitely think uh, a lot of these formats that people are making up, in a lot of cases, are better and more skill testing than some of the existing formats. Uh, like I think Adaptive Best of One, is a lot more interesting than adaptive best of three. Uh, sure. Mm. And a lot of times, like, because you have to evaluate the matchup right off the bat. You're not playing it twice before you evaluate the matchup. So mm-hmm. it kind of tests your intuition. How how good are you at just sort of like eyeballing matchups in Keyforge, which is mm-hmm. just fascinating. And you get straight to the business end as well. You get straight to that third match. uh, Because quite often, if there's that huge uh, um, mismatch of decks in Adaptive, you know it's a foregone conclusion who's going to win the first two rounds. Which deck, Mm -hmm. by the way, not not who, but which deck (laughs) is going to win the first two rounds. And then it's all about that third round. It's all about the chains and it's all about the draw. And Mm -hmm. and that excitement is distilled in in one round with Adaptive. Exactly, you're not not waiting. Wasting an hour before yeah. you get to the the fun part. Agreed. Absolutely. So I'll I'll uh, kind of wrap up the seal discussion with one question here in a hypothetical situation. Say say that there is there is you know uh, Susan Q Keyforge out there and she's got a prime coming up and it's sealed triad. She's just listened to this episode, but she needs she needs that dominator bobble because she needs to go to worlds. What how does how does Susan Q Keyforge prepare for sealed triad even if she doesn't really want to play it but she really wants to try to earn that that prime win. So, I think the best way to prepare for any sealed event is to play a lot of different keyforge decks from the same set against a lot of other Keyforge decks from the same set. Good decks, bad decks, play good decks versus bad decks, play bad decks versus good decks. You want to get a feel for how the set plays with itself, not how the set plays with all of the sets, because most seals are... Some seals are not. I went to a prime that was a three-deck sealed. You opened one from each set that was out at the time and then just picked one to play. That was kind of interesting. But I would say the majority of them are just the most recent set or whatever. And you really, in that one, need to know what to look for and what strategies work more effectively in the mono set play, right? Uh, So that's kind of the first thing. Uh, But that's all sealed, not necessarily sealed triad. But I think that the sealed triad specifically, you need to understand some of the weaker decks in the set how are you going to be able to effectively utilize certain mechanics that are in it to gain more percentage points than you would otherwise? Because in Sealed Triad, you're more likely than any other sealed format to have to at least play a, a deck that isn't good, right? Yeah, certainly, certainly. Um, is knowing the card pool that like commons and uncommons going to give somebody an edge there too? Maybe you get that knowledge from that repeated play you mentioned? Yeah, that that definitely will help uh, knowing all the cards. If you know the rarities, that helps too, specifically the commons, what you're more likely to play against. Like if you're like, oh, you know, all of the... Oh, identifying which, uh, I guess we'll call them haymakers are in the set and at what rarity and what houses they're in. So like, if like, is it safe to go to 12 amber here or is too much to protect in this set? Or like, what effects like that are in this set? What could What could punish me for taking this action so any 
any sort of card like that, knowing which ones there are in which houses and how frequently they'll appear. Like if it's just a rare, it might not even be worth playing again uh, or playing around it because they probably don't have it. But if it's a common, they might have it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was smoked at the U.S. Grand Championships, which was sealed triad, smoked uh, by a burn the stockpile, which was the only way I lost that game. Uh, I actually would have won the game at six, but uh, I just I just had to push it. And so, yeah, that was certainly a haymaker card that I did not think to play around. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was nasty. It was nasty. Sweat, sweat, sweaty Zach wouldn't be pleased. <laughs> yeah, there was a, a tint of green in, in my heart that day. It started to grow and grow and grow. <laughs> so I suppose if we can we can make the shift now with with a with a positive future for Keyforge of, you know, looking reflecting on some of these formats where maybe there have been unforeseen issues and uh and plenty more green pasture formats for or sorry variants and formats even for 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 looking into for organized play in the future but um for 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 non-seal triad for for archon triad um dave what would be what's your what's your take on that is this also an abomination or is it a masterpiece it's a masterpiece i absolutely love it (laughs) it's my favorite official format i love uh yeah, I love uh, Archon Triad. I've played in almost every Archon Triad event that's happened online, at least that I'm aware of. I try to just because there's not a lot of Archon Triad. So any excuse to play it, I will seek out. Yeah, certainly. And you talked about you talked about selecting decks being one of the biggest parts of triad so if somebody's got an archon triad competition coming up what's the most important things you need to remember when you're picking your three decks you talked about kind of meta calls and i know there have been discussions about picking decks that play similarly versus picking three different decks what's the best things to remember when you're trying to pick your three slots how the decks interact with one another and what their weaknesses are is important to pay attention to Uh, One strategy a lot of people like is bringing three very similar decks, which can uh, be either a good thing or a bad thing, depending on what the decks, uh, how they they, uh, look next to one another. If you have like three decks that are all, I don't know, let's say Logo, Star Alliance, and Untamed, but one of them is very much clearly better than the other ones, that's going to make the banning a bit easier for your opponents, which you could use to your advantage. Like, oh, they're always going to ban that one, so um, I can ban whatever one of their decks would be best against the other two. But if they're all three very similar, maybe that doesn't really give you as much of an advantage uh, as you would think, just because they all might have similar weaknesses. All three same deck, you're guaranteed to play uh, that style both games. So that's kind of one advantage. But the downside is you're the most beholden to matchups, and they're going to always ban your best deck, right? Or theoretically always ban your best deck, or the best one that looks... The one that looks the best, right? Yeah, yeah. If if we assume perfect knowledge uh, in, in terms of their their key forging skills, and I don't think, and maybe I'm maybe I'm short sighted here, but I don't think it's possible for anyone to have perfect knowledge in key forge because of the sheer complexity of this game yeah. and the the sheer number of variables that there are, and obviously the element of luck that goes into the game. You'd have to you'd have to be a time traveler, and for that you'd need some help from your future self um but 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 puns aside um i suppose your your opponent is going to aim to ban 
the 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 best deck for dealing with what they brought yeah yeah so in just what i was trying to talk about i just want to clarify a little bit because i know i was kind of uh foggy on part of that if you bring three decks that are all trying to do the same thing like they all have the same strategy let's say back before or let's say you bring three uh martian generosity key abduction decks right uh so they're all going to have probably similar weaknesses for the most part. Things that are disruptive towards the combo game plan are going to be good against them. Uh, so it's your opponent isn't necessarily going to have uh, have to choose to ban whatever deck they think they'll have the easiest time beating because they no matter what they do, they're going to have to be going against some Martian Generosity deck. But you might have one of your three Martian Generosity decks that is like so clear. Like maybe it has two... Martian generosities in it instead of just one. And so people are going to see that and they're really like, oh, I'm just going to ban that one because that one is clearly better than the other two. And then you'll never get to play that deck that has the two Martian generosities. Whereas if you are to pick decks that were all different from one another, it's going to shift more into shift away from just banning whichever one looks the best and into banning based on matchups. Uh, sorry, guys. Uh, do carry on. I'm just taking a few notes. <clears throat> Bring three Infernus decks to Triad event. Okay, cool. I'm back with okay, you. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a strategy. Um, so I, I think that there is, it's perfectly valid to bring three decks that are trying to execute similar game plans. And I also think it's perfectly valid to bring three decks that are operating on different axes. Uh, where you'll run into problems, which... Uh, I kept a lot of data on this. I, I do a lot of spreadsheets, uh, which is kind of a common theme. I, I just really like spreadsheets. Uh, if you bring two decks that are different from one another, and then a third deck that exists somewhere in between them, uh, the best example of this I could provide would be the triad that I played in. It was one of the online leagues, uh, but it was uh, Nuvolari, the Strongly Apologetic, which we'll talk about later. Uh, it was Miss Nitrozothique, the Iron Experimenter, and then it was Oddly Ubiquitous Volano. So Nuvolari is uh, like five urchin, rush deck, uh, just kind of goes very quickly with generating amber, stealing amber, all that. Uh, Miss Nitrozothique is a Mars Logos Dis, like heavy board deck, uh, gets a lot of Mars guys in play, is just, uh, Crystal Hive, does a lot of reaping, uh, and kind of plays from the board. And then Oddly Ubiquitous Volano just looks like those two decks got smashed together and are just kind of in the same deck. It's got like four urchins, a bunch of like Mars creatures, uh, and just a lot of stuff like that. So that triad lineup, I think you'll run into problems because if you're going against other people who are uh, very good at Keyforge, they're going to be able to identify if their deck is better against the rush side or the board side or whatever the two uh, dynamics you choose are uh, and they'll be able to ban the rush deck or the board deck and then you have to play the one that they're going to be better against and then the one that's mostly comprised of the one that they're better against so let's say somebody had um again the best example of this i saw was when i was playing that uh lineup a lot of people ban Nuvolari because I played that deck a lot and they, people have heard of it. Uh, a lot of people would ban uh, Volano because it's got like a really high SAS number or whatever and it has a lot of scary cards, like too much to protect and like interdimensional graft. But I was playing in uh, Triad against uh, 
Lady Aurora, and she ended up banning Miss Nitrozothique, which I think was the correct ban because she identified that her decks would be much uh, better for beating rush decks than they would for beating this like board heavy, almost pseudo combo deck. And as a result, she got to just play against two rush decks and didn't have to worry about uh, the one that she would be bad at beating or not bad at beating, but would be harder for her deck to beat. Right. So I think that three different decks, fine. Three same decks, fine. Uh, two archetypes and one that's kind of in the middle. Avoid that because you run into situations like that and you're kind of left in a in a losing situation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you 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 touched upon something super important there, I and mean, this might be a distinguishing factor for people going into these events. That yeah, uh, Lady Aurora, her her perspective on this was looking at which decks did she know how to deal with with regards to the deck that she's got at the moment. And there's probably never going to be a best or worst deck, but only a, a relative deck to uh, to what you're what you're bringing and uh, the ingredients that you're you're aware of. Right. So. Um, I'm sure if anyone can come close to banning the best deck, it's probably probably a rule. Exactly, right? And the of those three decks, Miss Nitrozothic looks like the worst deck. I mean, it probably is the worst deck of those three decks, but in that matchup, it was just objectively the correct ban. Sure, sure. That makes a lot of sense. I had the, the pleasure to do some triad testing a, a few matches with... Blake from Help from Future Self while he was preparing for the Vegas Vault Tour, which was our contract. He knocked me out of the Vegas Vault Tour. I'm sorry? He knocked me out of the Vegas Vault Tour. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, so I got to play against that lineup, and uh, I know he bought he brought a deck with at least three, maybe four routine jobs, and it was relatively obviously kind of ban bait, like he expected that to be banned each time. Uh, but I had brought a deck that I had gotten off of the secondary market, an Age of Ascension deck, which is a middling deck against everything except Coda Rush, because uh, it has some combinations with Pile of Skulls that against a lot of tiny little creatures like Urchins and Hunting Witches, uh, it just shines. And um, I managed to to take him out in that matchup, even though he was just keep kept hitting me with routine jobs, simply because I knew I had a strong matchup there. Um, and then I, I never did well in a triad match ever again, so I used it all up uh, helping Blake practice so he could knock you out, apparently. Mm-hmm. But, uh, no, in Vegas, you know. the, <laughs> I think I've done probably three online triad leagues, plus I was in the triad seat for Shadow Worlds, and I made top cut or the finals in all of those, except the, nice. the, the, Vegas, the Vegas Vault Tour got knocked out. I think I went three and three or something, so the Vegas Vault Tour did not go well at all, so... Blake, Blake did a really j- good job of thoroughly kicking my butt. <laughs> I'm sure he was very polite about it and communicated oh, well was, the whole yeah, time. He, he had, in his podcast, he was talking about it and he was like, I saw the pairings and I was like, oh no, it's it's Dave. This is going to be rough. And he just like mopped the floor with me. And I'm like, <laughs> not rough apparently, right? Yeah. Well, it happens sometimes. Yeah. Uh, so, so here's here's a question that's popped up in my mind, though my collection has grown to a number I, I won't name. It did three digits at this point. Uh, but do you have to have a strong collection of decks to be competitive at Archon Triad? So obviously, with Archon Best of One, you just need one very competitive deck, technically. Obviously, having more helps because then 
you can engage more in the selection process beforehand of identifying what you think the meta is going to be like and which ones you think might be the best. But at the end of the day, you're just bringing one deck to the event and you need that one deck to do well. With Triad, you need three decks, right? So if you only have one good deck, Triad is going to be quite difficult. Now that said, because you get to look at your opponent's deck list before you play and select one of them to ban, a lot of times you can bring decks to Triad that might be a bad choice for Archon single because they're like, I don't know, they're weak to board wipes or something like that. Uh, but you can look at your opponent's lineup before you play and you can ban the deck that has too many board wipes for that deck to deal with. And then that deck uh, is going to be perfectly viable in Triad. So I think that the bar for a deck that you play in Triad is actually lower than Archon single, but you do need three times as many decks to, uh, that, are, that you're going to be playing, right? So uh, yes, you would need a larger collection, but it's not nearly as large as some other people would like uh, lead you to believe. I know uh, Phil's uh, you know, famous for saying that you need to spend $5,000 to play Triad correctly, uh, which is just untrue uh, for a lot of reasons. But yeah, that's basically, yes, you do need more decks, but they do not need to all be the best deck in the universe. And they can have holes that you can cover during the banning process. Yeah, I think I totally agree that you can make up that gap if you don't have this brilliant, amazing collection that people are offering you money for some of those top decks that you can make that up by being smart about your meta choice and then smart about your banning there. Exactly. Uh, because, mm. yeah, there might be decks in the meta that you anticipate to see. You think, what are their weaknesses? And then if you ban smart, you can take you can take those matchups with a deck that anybody would have in their collection with the right tools. Exactly. And so like for my lineup with uh, in Vegas, which which didn't work in Vegas, it did work um, in I was also running that in one of the leagues that I made the finals of or one. Uh, but uh, I'll come back to that in a second as to why it didn't work in paper, but it did work online. Uh, one of the decks that I knew nobody was going to ban, which was Miss Nitro, uh, was just bad against board wipes. But this was like Coda and AOA only. This was before everybody was like really heavy on the board control plan. Uh, so I, I knew that nobody was going to ban that, and I knew that they were probably going to ban Nuvolari. And so I would just look at their lineup and figure out which one had the most board control, and I would just ban that one, which would allow uh, the deck that I knew that they were going to let me play and that might not be the best choice for like an Archon solo vault tour uh, to really shine there. Uh, so that's kind of, yeah, it's a good example of that. That's a really confident strategy. Um, and, and in some ways then, Dave, do you feel that Archon Triad presents some some more angles for that kind of strategic thinking than even a straight Archon event? Yeah, that's and that's why I like it. Is there's a, The deck selection process, uh, both before the event and then the banning uh, during the event, there's just a lot of area for you to play with and sort of swing mm. things into your favor uh, more so than if you just like have to play like your best deck or whatever. And then, you know, maybe you get good matchups, maybe you get bad matchups. There's uh, lower variance also being a best of three format. Uh, before we get too far away from it, I just want to jump back to why I think that my triad lineup did not work for Vegas, even though it was successful on some of the online leagues. I think that this is something that a lot of people are going to want to know about and pay attention to if they're preparing for a triad event. 
And we touched on this earlier with the sealed triad sometimes taking a long time, but triad is a best of three format. It is incredibly time consuming. If you are at a vault tour or a grand championship or something like that, that is triad, you're going to be there for a long time. So if you're looking at your decks and you have a deck that you think is pretty good and you think it fits good on well on your triad, but that deck plays like long games. There's a lot of thinking involved. Uh, and it's mentally taxing to play it. Keep in mind, you might have to play that deck twice around up to. Uh, and so one of the decks that I played in Vegas was a, uh, it had like two control of the weeks, restrain Guntis, screaming cave. Uh, it's like a heavy, heavy control deck, you know, wins the game on like turn 18 or whatever, and tries to lock them out of the game. Uh, just like a slow attrition sort of thing. And that was great in the online leagues where you're playing like a triad match a week or a triad match a day. Uh, but doing that over and over again over the course of like 12 hours or something like that takes a lot more energy than playing something that might be a bit more straightforward. So when you're thinking about this, make sure you're aware you're going to be playing these decks a lot. Be very comfortable with them and be aware you might have to play it, you know, 12 times in one day. Yeah, that's a that's a great note to be aware of your because everybody's got a maximum budget of energy and attention, right? That once that starts to run low, uh, you're more prone to mistakes. But uh, you heard it here first, ladies, gentlemen, archons all uh, run three double grunt buggy decks and you'll be just fine. Yeah, that might be, be a little fine. taxing, depending on what. You're <laughs> <doing>. <laughs> yeah, taxing <laughs> in all meetings. All decks can be fine. Like uh, <laughs> the five Edi deck is fine in triad, but uh, that one doesn't have nearly as many decisions as like which house do I control the week them into? Like what? Like planning out the next several turns. Like you have a screaming cave. Like you don't know what your hand's going to look like. It's just there's way too much going on with that deck. It just you know, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Dave, thank you so much for coming on board today and talking about Triad. We thank you very much for your time. It was great to have you on. Oh, yeah. No, thanks for having me. I'll talk about Triad and spreadsheets whenever anybody wants. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Uh, Keyforge content creators, consider that uh, an open invitation there. Uh, so if you are enjoying Call of Discovery and are willing and able to support us monetarily, our Patreon is linked below where you can put your own weird and wonderful decks in the spotlight and have a say in our future through joining the Patreon-only Discord available at any level. You can let us know what you'd like to see more or less of in future shows, uh, even just by emailing us at discoverkeyforge at gmail.com or our shinier, newer email podcast at callofdiscovery.com. Please do subscribe and leave a review on your regular podcast app that will help other Keyforge aficionados find us and enjoy this uh, if they enjoy this kind of thing. You can find us on pretty much all of the big social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And most importantly, above all that, if you think a friend would enjoy Call of Discovery, please help them to discover it. Have you answered the Call of Discovery? 